Well, good evening. <clears throat> if you'll open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, I pray tonight, Lord, that you would be with the preaching of your word. God, that we would see our need for Christ Jesus as Savior. God, that there is no middle-class Christian, that there is no mediocre Christian, there is no rogue Christian in this world, God, but all who belong to you come to you in Christ. God, that is the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ that is worthy of every bit of our life. God, I pray you would bless the preaching of your word this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm a little bit emotional. Um, but um, this text, so this was one of the first texts that I got to preach about five years ago and when I was challenged in my faith as a so-called Christian for most of my life. Uh, I was 28 kind of in and out of church. You probably have heard my testimony before, but I was challenged by a friend's dad as a churchgoer, merely a churchgoer, and I have to do some introspection or look at my life and consider what he had said. You know, 28 years old, death becomes a reality. You start thinking about, you know, mortality and um, how time is, you know, fleeting. And so I considered what he had said, and I thought, well, He's right, I do just go to church, I don't really read my Bible, I don't really pray, I don't really do anything that all the people I go to church, I mean, I just do what they do. I don't spend time with them, I don't go anywhere with them, I just go to church on Sunday and I go home. Uh, and so when I started reading my Bible for the first time to figure out who Jesus was, I read this text, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, I was reading the NIV and it says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. If anyone desires to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And I had to take a long pause at that text, because it's Jesus talking. And if you look back, Jesus had just got done feeding 5,000 people. And in Mark uh, chapter 8, it says that Jesus calls the crowd and his disciples. So he wasn't just speaking to his disciples. He makes sure that everybody hears this. And uh, so I thought about it, and I have to apply this to my life. What is Jesus talking about here? What is he saying? And as a young uh, convert, two years into my faith, I got the opportunity to preach, and this was the text that I preached. So I was glad to revisit it because I don't remember what I preached. Um, but I do know that it has significantly more meaning and value to me tonight than it did before. See, the problem, especially in the Reformed circle, is when we read a text like this, if anyone would come after me, we automatically want to jump to Romans 3. Well, no one seeks after God. No one does good. But then you see in the text, you've got people seeking after Jesus. They are seeking after Him. Even Herod, in verse uh, verse 8, it says that he had heard these things happening, and he sought to see him. 
Even Herod wanted to see who this Jesus was. So there's an attractiveness about Christ in his humanity that a lot of people want. They want security. There were people going with Jesus because the crowds were there and they were hiding from the Jews and the, from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So they were finding shelter in Christ. Um, he provided food. So there was provision in Christ. Uh, he was kind. He healed people and he raised their children from the dead and he cleansed lepers. And the humanity of Christ was so desirable as it is today. We have churches that are filled with nothing but the humanity of Christ. And it makes him so attractive that when they come to the deity of Christ, they don't want it. They reject the deity of Christ. Well, I don't, I don't like that, Jesus. Jesus said in John three sixteen that uh, for God so loved the world, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But I don't like the part in John three eighteen when he says, whoever does not believe does not have eternal life. Only Jesus can say that. But when they meet the deity of Christ, it's not, so, uh, it's not so appealing because a death has to take place. So in our text this evening, as we deal with the, is this issue of the humanity of Christ and the deity of Christ, we look and Jesus does, he is inclusive, this inclusivity of Christ, if anyone would desire to come after me. No one's excluded. In a world where we, in a world that desires inclusion, Jesus here leaves nobody out. Praise God that if anybody has this desire to come after me, what, you must do what follows. He, he, um, uh, he, Jesus is not, he's, he's not a respecter of persons. You know, we read in the Bible that he doesn't, he knows hearts, he perceives hearts. In John 2, he says he does not entrust himself to the crowds, for he knows the heart of man. So we're not going to fool Jesus. We can't come to him with our, with our, uh, our vain um, desires and our selfish desires. We must come to Jesus on his terms. And he gives us his terms in such a short verse as this. Uh, in, in the next part, so if anyone comes after me, this is what he says, let him deny himself or he must deny himself. So this is the death of a will. This is the day that you die, that your will dies. This word deny, it is a command. It's imperative in the Greek, but it is a, a command. It says to disregard one's own interests. So you must dis disregard your interests and, and then take up the interest of another. Okay, so what is our interest? What gets our interest? Well, our financial interest. A lot of people seek financial freedom. They seek financial security. So I want you to turn with me in Matthew 6, verses 19 and 24, and see what Jesus has to say about finances. Matthew 6, verse 19 do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, in the light of what Christ has said, money's not bad. The love of money is the, root of all, is the root of all kinds of evil, but there's nothing inherently wrong with money. But the Christian ought to use this money 
to advance the kingdom of God, to glorify God. It's no longer this, I'm going to give my portion to God, but rather, I'm going to honor God with all of my money. How do you do that? By paying my bills, by being responsible, by, by giving to missions, by providing for the church, by buying the guy's food behind me, by doing something with money that would glorify God. It is no longer our possession. We don't own it. We can't keep it. And we use it for the kingdom of God, for his righteousness, for his glory. To Maybe Pastor Randall's going to Mexico. Maybe you want to put a few extra dollars in his pocket. Or maybe you know a mission. Or maybe you know a church. Or There's always a way to give financially to advance the kingdom of God and not our own kingdom. What about the future? We're all concerned about the future. What's going to happen? How will I die? When will I die? I want future. I want security in the future. I want to know I'm going to have a good future. Again, Matthew 6. Go down to verse 34. I knew I should have kept my spot. Matthew 6, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So don't worry about your future. You have a command from God not to worry about your future. Now, that's not to say be irresponsible. That's not to say don't use wisdom and discernment about your future. But what, what can you do about your future? We don't even know what the, the next hour will bring. So don't be anxious about your future. And to, to, the, to the older people in here who may not believe, who may not understand, who may have walked a crooked path, do not say my life is wasted. Don't get caught up in that. Because if you're not in Christ, your life hasn't begun. If you repent today and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will inherit eternal life. And then life begins. And whatever you do from that day forward will be glorifying to God and will have value and have weight and have worth. And to the young in this room, don't think to yourself, I have my whole life ahead of me that I'll get right with God down the road, that I'll make things right when on my terms. Because you don't know if tomorrow will come. Okay, what about safety? Everybody wants to be safe. We want to live in a safe world. We want to lock our doors and wear our seatbelts. And uh, we don't want to put ourselves at risk for any kind of danger. Um, Pastor Randall talks about this. He's going to Honduras. Ooh, isn't that dangerous? Newsflash, just leaving your house is dangerous. It's like 90% of vehicle accidents happen within 10 miles of the home. We live in a dangerous world, a world full of evil, a world full of death. It's all around us. But what does the Bible say about safety? Look at Proverbs chapter 1. One verse, verse 33. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Now, I want you to understand, it doesn't say without disaster. It says without dread of disaster. Jesus didn't say if the storm comes. Jesus said when the storm comes, build your house. You, you must have a house built on the rock, the foundation and this, this, whoever listens to me, whoever listens to wisdom, didn't we hear it this morning? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ Jesus. Where are you going to turn? 
Where are you going to find refuge apart from Jesus Christ? There is none. So we owe our our safety, the will of our safety to Christ. Now what about family? (sighs) Turn to Luke 14. Verses 25 through 27. If anyone would come to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Well, that was... Uh, a reality in my own life when I came to Christ and I realized I wanted to live my life differently than the rest of my family. I didn't want to drink and smoke anymore. I didn't want to cuss anymore and I didn't want to raise my kids around it. So I called my dad and I said, my dad, dad, I'm not bringing my kids over because I don't want them to be raised like that. And he said, can you stick to your side of the tracks and I'll stick to mine. Now I probably could have gone about that a little differently, but I was passionate. I had found Christ. And I didn't want my kids to be influenced just by mundane worldliness. Not not necessarily wicked, vile, evil worldliness, but just mundane, placid, just normal life in the world. I wanted them to know that there was something better than that. And I didn't want them to be influenced by any worldliness. And it almost cost me my relationship with my own dad. And that's when I kind of realized this is serious business here. This, this being a Christian thing is a lot more than just getting up and going to church on Sunday. And thankfully, we've reconciled our relationship. Me and my dad get along, and I wish that he was here tonight. But. And then, last of all, just in this sermon here, because I couldn't get to all of our interests, but what about friends? James 4.4. 4. It's right after Hebrews. James 4 4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We don't need friends. We need brothers and sisters in Christ. Those are your friends. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Well, that's a challenging one. So we just stop talking to our unbelieving friends? No, I would say not. I think Paul makes that clear in Corinthians chapter 5. He says, I don't say have nothing to do with unbelievers, but People who profess to be Christians and live like the world have nothing to do with those ones who are drunk and fornicate and commit adultery and do all kinds of lewd acts. He says, he says have nothing to do with them. But this, don't be them. Don't be that person who associates with worldliness, 
who associates with worldly philosophies and worldly people, and you spend more of your time in the world than you do in your church or with your brothers and sisters in Christ, what do you think is going to happen? They will influence you. And then your heart slowly begins to change and is pulled away from Christ, and your mouth changes and your thoughts change, and then next thing you know, you're no longer here. And don't think it can't happen to you because it's, it has happened in this church more times than I care to admit in just the last three years to people that were preaching in this very pulpit. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. It cannot be done. You must submit that will to another. It must die. In John 12, 20 through 24, it says there were some Greeks who were seeking Jesus and he says, now, in verse 20, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. That's just right here on this pulpit. It's on my pulpit in the youth class. It's on Brother Jonathan's pulpit down in Port Arthur. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless the grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So, the will, my will, your will, if you want to bear any fruit for Christ, it's got to die. You have to die to self. You have to give it up and give your life to Jesus Christ if you expect any fruit to come out of your life. Pastor Randall's been preaching on this for three weeks. To bear fruit. If you're a branch connected to the vine, not it might, it will bear fruit. So if there's no fruit of the will of God in your life, then are you really connected to the vine? So what are the implications? You must lay down the interest of your will and submit it to the will of another. Not just get rid of it. Not just stop cussing. Not just stop getting drunk. Not just stop going to the places you go, seeing the people you see, um, trusting in the things you trust in. Not just stopping doing those things. That's not enough. Now you must take those things and submit them to the will of another. So you have, an, you have a, a duty on your part to deny yourself And the next part of the text is to take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. Notice he says in the text, one of these spots, take up, uh, uh, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. It doesn't say take up my cross, but that's what we've done in cultural Christianity in America. We like to take up Jesus' cross, and we like to put it in a rearview mirror, and we like to put it on our shoulder with a tattoo, and we like to put it on our bumper sticker, and we like to wear hats with a little cross on it. And we say, yeah, I, got, I took up Jesus' cross. And no, no, no. You take up your cross. So you've turned the cross into like this trinket like a superstitious good luck charm, really. You know, we go out and we street preach, and people, hey, you know, are you a Christian? They want to roll up their sleeve as fast as they can to show you a tattoo of a cross. 
Because they're superstitious about Christianity. Because they think that, well, when I was a kid, and I went to church, and I prayed this prayer, and then I was baptized, I got saved. And no one ever told them any different. And then they go off into the world, and they fall into all kinds of worldly problems and worldly troubles. And there's some instances in their life where they have this desire to go back to the Jesus that they knew. Right? The human Jesus. The friendly, loving, pitiful little lamb Jesus who just wants you to be happy because that's what they sell you. And so they go to the bars and they're justified in their sin. I was saved when I was a kid. I'm good. But they're not good. That's why we go. They are deceived. If uh, uh, James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. All these little cross trinkets, that's what they do. People are deceived. Now, I'm not saying there's not, there's not genuine Christians who wear, okay, right, we want to identify with Christ, we want to be known for Christ. I, I got a hat with a cross on it. I'm not saying it's every case, but I would say it's the majority of cases. You can't go serve homeless people in a city with 500,000 Christians and four people show up and think we're all Christian. It doesn't work that way. You can't go to the abortion clinic in a city with 500,000 people and eight people show up for the sight of Christ. It doesn't work like that. And then you've got people in the parking lot leading their child to the slaughter with a cross in the rearview mirror. So what is the cross? What does it mean? Turn to Matthew 27. I couldn't explain it any better than this if I wanted to. Matthew 27, verses 22 through 31. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? They didn't care. They just shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See, we say we're innocent because of this man's blood. His, and, and, then, and then the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he releases for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him. So you got one Jesus and a whole battalion. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and they put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him. And they took a reed and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, put his own clothes on him, led him away to be crucified. Is that the cross that you want to bear? Because that's the cross that Jesus is saying you must take up. Your life is not your own. And you must take up the cross and bear it. 
for Christ. And you say, well, that doesn't happen today. Yes, it does. I have been spit on for preaching Christ. We have been threatened. We have been literally pulled off of the things we stand on. And then you want to get real serious when you look at the other side of the world. They're dragged out of churches and their homes and mothers and children separated because of Christianity, because of Christ. It's, it's, not, it's not a trivial thing. The cross is not trivial. There's power in the cross. That's why so many people have this idea that they cling to it. That's why so many people identify with the cross. Because they know that there's power in the cross. Even if they live a life of hell, they know that there's power to save in the cross of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.19 says, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. If there's no bloody cross... There's no peace. And then Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross. You are, in essence, he's saying, you've submitted your will to mine. It's no longer my will, but his will be done, whether that means to death or not. So if God calls you to the mission field, go. If he calls you to preach, go. If he calls you to serve wherever, go. But you don't have to fear anymore because you have security in Christ. You don't have to fear death anymore because you have eternal life in Christ. See, death becomes the doorway to eternal life. It's not the final resting place for the Christian, but for the non-believer, they have every reason to fear because on the other side of that cross... There remains wrath for everyone who does not believe. There's greater joy in the humiliation of carrying a cross, an instrument of humiliation, of death, than there is in all the fleeting pleasures of the world. To to glorify God by crucifying the flesh and submitting yourself to His will brings peace beyond understanding. It gives you rest and sleep. And it gives you hope that this ain't it. And then you take that and you have a desire for other people to receive it. That it's not just something you keep to yourself. It's something you want to share with the world. Something you want to share with your neighbor. Something you want to share with the guy out back with his kids who doesn't want to come into the church. He just wants his kids to play on the playground. He's not coming in here. We have to go to him. And he's right here in our backyard. And it's not a one-time thing either. So take up this cross daily. So there goes that once saved, always saved when I was a kid thing. It doesn't work. So many people look back to a time when they got saved. All the while talking like they're not saved. You don't got saved. You are saved. I was saved and I am saved. And I will be saved. Because we have to live this thing out in time and reality. 
But this idea that, well, once you get saved, you're good, it goes out the window with this daily thing, with dealing with this dailiness of the Christian walk, this dailiness of crucifying the, it is no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. I crucify the flesh. And it's this idea that we are being transformed and renewed in the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of God, into the image of Christ. Matthew 6, tells us clearly, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then all those things that you're worried about, all the things that I worry about, they'll be added to you. Food, clothing, shelter, just the, the things that we need. Colossians 3, 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So it's each day a gratitude, a thankfulness. If you don't start your day with thankfulness toward God and an appreciation for what He's done, the breath of life that He's given you, sustaining you in this world, and the, and the things that He's done in Christ as a Christian, start doing that. Your day will be so much better to wake up and just thank God that your feet get to hit the floor one more day. Paul says it is if, if it's to live, it's Christ. To die is gain. So you have nothing to lose. I like what Pastor Randall says. What are you going to do, threaten me with heaven? You know, that's the reality. And only the Christian can say that. But it starts with this gratitude toward God, this seeking the kingdom of God first, putting him first. Ray Comfort says, uh, no Bible, no belly. You know, read before you eat. Put the word of God first. Be intentional. So, you have this life, this one life. Jesus makes a declaration that if anyone would come after, he must take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. Follow Jesus, submitting yourself again to the will of Jesus Christ. If you look, uh, turn to John 10. It's one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. John 10, 1 through 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold but the door, uh, by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. This is a very personal Christ we're dealing with. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger's. So now you have a a personal relationship with Christ, a a following the voice of Jesus. Uh, Again, James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And this this idea, is this deception is reducing the cross to nothing but a superstition. Like I was talking, like I mentioned earlier, this this get-out-of-hell-free card, for example. It's like, well, we wear a cross, we want people to see the cross, we identify with Jesus. Okay, how about we start identifying with the Scriptures and what Jesus says? But how, how, do we, how do we follow Christ? What does it mean to follow Jesus? He says, uh, 
they will hear my voice. Okay? Um, John 14, 15 sums up following Christ very simply. In one verse, John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, there's a lot to unpack there. But how are you going to know what Jesus commanded if you don't read it? How do you know what to do with your life in Christ as a Christian if you don't read what Jesus has said? That was my, that was my fault, right? That was my, my failure as a professing Christian. I didn't, it was, I didn't care. I just wanted to identify with Jesus in some way, shape, fashion, or form because everybody else kind of did it around me. It became a superstition I was holding on to. But then I was challenged by the Word of God in this very text. What am I going to do with my life now? Now I have to do something with it. I can't just ignore it because if I'm a Christian, then I have to do what Jesus says to do. I have to start submitting myself to Him, my marriage, my children, how I treat people at work. I have to start obeying the commands of Christ, but how am I going to do that? I've got to get to know Jesus. So I got this desire to know him. Then I, I didn't just find a friend uh, or a, a, you know, a companion. I didn't find a, a, this humanitarian Christ who just wants everybody to do well. I found God. I was, I was drawn in by Christ who redeemed me on the cross and gave me life. Who gives life freely to all who come to him. Drink of the living water freely. And you'll never thirst. I fell in love with Christ. I fell in love with this cross. That Jesus would take my sin. Call me a sheep. Call me by name. And say, just come after me. Just follow me. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to do you any harm. The world will hurt you. Your family's going to turn on you. Your friends are going to leave you. They're gone. But praise God, He replaces them with faithful brothers and sisters who lead me in the right direction to Christ and away from sin. This is following Jesus, this getting to know Jesus, this learning about His Word and, and then measuring, well, the truth of Scripture with what I've been taught. And that was a long road. And it's a long road ahead. And I'm glad to walk it. And I pray that God helps me stay on it. Because there's a lot of times in my life, in your life, where your mind's going to play tricks on you. It's going to try to pull you away. Your heart's going to play tricks on you. It's going to try to pull you away. And the further you walk from Christ, the further away your heart and your mind will lead you astray. And then we'll make excuses. And we'll make another excuse. And we'll say, the, devil, the devil's playing tricks. And I got, I'm tired and I went to work. And we stop following what the Word of God says. And we start giving in to our own desires. And what does James say? Let no one say when they're tempted that they're tempted by God, but they're lured away and enticed by their own desires. But follow Jesus with uh, 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 submit your will to Christ and follow Christ. Even in those times of darkness, even in those times of despair, the Bible will get, he, uh, God will give wisdom. To anybody who calls, anybody who asks him, I'll give you wisdom. Seek it. Go to Christ for these things. So, what does this mean for the unbeliever, the false convert, the person who doesn't know Christ, doesn't uh, 
understand. Whatever life you think you are living is no life at all. There is no life in the world. Apart from Christ, you have no life. You are still dead in your sins and trespasses. You are still condemned for not believing in the name of Jesus Christ. And apart from Him, there is no salvation. Life only belongs, true life only belongs to those in Christ. You may live in this world, eat and breathe and drink, enjoy good music, but that will come to an end. And your only hope is to repent of your sins. To see the darkness of your sin, that God would send His only Son to a cross. Stop making it mediocre and nominal in your life and see the reality and the beauty of the cross. And then deny yourself. Say, I don't want to live like this anymore. I want to glorify the one who saved me. And I want to honor Him with whatever life I have left. And then life begins. And what does it mean for the believer? We ought to be encouraged by this church. Jesus draws hard lines in the sand so that we can know. There's none of this carnal Christianity. There's, no, there's none of this getting in by the skin of your teeth. But the reality is that means your parents, your friends, your siblings, your nieces, your nephews, your cousins, your co-workers, your hobby friends, none of them get in by the skin of their teeth. They all have to go the same way you go. But for the believer, it means your life is not your own. It's in Christ now. God is in charge. He's going to do you better than you could do you. He's going to, he's going to lead you to paths of righteousness. He's not going to do you any wrong. If it hurts in the flesh, right? It may hurt the flesh, but that's because we're being pruned, right? It's being stripped away so that we can magnify and glorify Christ more. We can bear more fruit for the kingdom of God. So be encouraged, church. Keep the faith. Keep fighting the good fight. Be, find joy in the things of Christ. Be glad that you no longer are what you once were. That God has redeemed you from that, has saved you from that. Like the preacher in Ecclesiastes at the very end says, the end of the matter is this, all has been heard, fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So at the end of at Luke chapter 9, I'm going to leave you with this. Verse 24 through 26. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you speak so clearly in your word. God, that outside of Christ we have no need. Outside of Christ we have no want. That we have everything in Christ. God, that you provide richly and abundantly in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That there is eternal security. 
that there is a glorified body waiting for us on the other side of eternity, that there is a kingdom in heaven waiting to, be received, waiting to receive us. God, I pray that you give us sound words of wisdom and knowledge and truth in your word, that you've blessed us with your word so that we can know Jesus and follow him. God, and I pray that by your spirit you would help us to submit our wills to the will of Christ, to the will of God, and to reflect the image of Christ that we are being made into. God, that we would not live nominal Christian lives, but that Jesus Christ would be glorified in us. And Lord, for those who do not believe, who are on sinking sand, God, I pray that they would see their need, that time is fleeting. Life is purely a mist of vapor. God, unless they repent, they will never see true life. They will never see the riches and the joy of being made right with God because of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would draw them to repentance. I pray that you would work in their heart and make them see that they must take a stand. They must make a decision for Christ. They must come to Christ on His terms. Father, would you be glorified in the forgiveness, God, of sins of so many. God, help us to follow Jesus with our whole hearts, with our whole lives, so that He would be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen.